Welcome to Nobody Asks Us to Do This, the next Jehovah's Witness podcast. We would love for you to join our online community on Facebook. You can like and follow our fan page by searching Nobody Asks Us to Do This, the next Jehovah's Witness podcast. And we'd love for you to join the conversations on the posted topics in our Facebook group. Just search Nobody Asks Us to Do This, the next Jehovah's Witness group. We hope to see you there, and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Welcome to the show. I have with me my co-host, Joe Mitchell. How you doing, Joe? Doing all right. And joining us today is our special guest, Kevin Williams. How are you doing? I'm great, guys. How are you? Enjoying this Saturday morning. It's Saturday morning, everyone. Great. <laughs> How was your guys' field service day? Oh, my God. Man, I got <laughs> in nine hours already. <laughs> before I got on this call, before we got on this this chat joe was like this is this is early man (laughs) honestly i I feel it i'm like man i haven't woken up this early on a saturday in a while yo what time did we what time would we wake up for service like uh Uh, saturday morning man like we would get up at like five o'clock Yo, and Joe. Yeah, we did street work. We did the oh, y'all street, did street work. Y'all yeah. did street work. Yeah, I didn't do yeah. street work. <laughs> Stand in front of the 7-Eleven. Yeah, we did that, especially during the summer. We did that every day. Oh, man. Did you guys do gas station territory or gas we station did, work? We did gas stations. We did oh. 7-Elevens. We walked up and down like the neighborhood that I grew up in. So yeah. that was rough. Yeah, I never did street work. I hated street work. But, but I also like... um. I'd say Saturday, we would always start the meeting for field service at 9.30, getting up at 8.45, because I get up right as soon as I have to leave. So, Kevin, how did you become a Jehovah's Witness? All righty. So, I am a, I think this will be technically second generation born in. My parents converted when they were 25, and that was in 1978. My dad is an elder. My oldest brother is an elder. I'm the youngest of five boys. The one behind him is either a ministerial servant or an elder. And then the two that are closest to me in age are definitely Jehovah's Witnesses still. It was kind of like one of those things where my mom always told me, it's like, you know, I forget what scripture, but she would say, as for me and my household, we will serve Jehovah. Mm, man. She basically, you know, will quote that scripture and basically tell, told me that, you know, you're going to be a Jehovah's Witness. Jehovah's Witness, there's no option for you. That's what I thought I had to do. I mean, there obviously were other extenuating circumstances. Like, you know, I thought it would make me not gay. Yeah. And, you know, I wanted to drive. And my dad told me, how can we trust you behind the wheel if you're not making progress in the congregation? Talking Um, to you, it sounds so familiar. It really is like (laughs) talking to myself. Everything you're saying, having the the elder father, it's it's like the same story. So I have a question. Since you were raised a Jehovah's Witness... How would you describe the kind of Jehovah's Witnesses your parents were? So there were a lot of things that they were definitely strict about, but then there were stuff that they were weirdly loose about. I tell people all the time that, you know, my family was full of idiosyncrasies that didn't make any sense. I'd say for the most part, we were pretty strict. Until, like, you know, my mom or dad just kind of liked something, so they would let it slide. Like, for example, my dad used to watch Lord of the Rings. <laughs> right like you know that book full of spiritism and everything and he says, oh. well, I read the book, so that's okay and i'm like not really but okay i used to watch a lot of rings Shit. man they love their loopholes like my father likes star wars and i love star wars but uh-huh. he would, al- I would always say it was magic and he's like no it's space it's, it's different than magic yep 
Yeah, yep. <laughs> I remember you. Yes, but too. in episode one, they explained <laughs> that that midi chlorians are that actual life forms, and so it's not magic anymore. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, <laughs> right. It's a mess. They're a mess. So, when did you realize you were gay? Like, when Ooh. did you accept it? Looking back on it, I think you know there were signs, like even me being like you know five or six you know, being attracted to guys. But I mean, what kind of sexuality does a five-year-old have? Like none. I think by the time I think it was 12 or 13, I had realized that I had, I had come to terms with being gay. Like, you know, I says, you know, by definition, I'm gay. I just kind of asked myself, what am I going to do about it? Like, I can't really, you know, so-called act on my urges. You know, how, that's how they like to put it. So since you couldn't act on those urges, what did you think was the solution for your dilemma? Oof, that's a lot of heavy thinking for like a 12 or 13 year old, really trying to navigate your sexuality, your mortality in relation to it. Because I mean, they think, I mean, they really do tell you that, you know, if you do act on yourself, on your sexuality, you're going to die. Yeah. So, you know, I, I kind of confided in my mom and in my older, one of my older brothers, you know, telling me, telling them once or twice that, you know, I had the same sex, I struggled with same sex attraction, which is awful. How did that conversation go? Oh boy. So, you know, they were very understanding, at least the first time, because, you know, I told them that I didn't want to act on anything and blah, blah, blah. They had me read, like, you know, some of the, the publications that the, that the organization had put out, which really don't help. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen that Michael Jackson meme, or excuse me, Michael Jordan meme, where he's like, um, stop, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> that's basically what, that's basically what those, what those articles tell you. Basically for them, like, you know, it tells you like, well, if you're having gay feelings, don't have them. It does not help at all in the right. slightest. Basically their proposal is you can't act on it. The desire is there, but you can't act. Nah, they told me that if I like, you know, change what I thought about, then my desires would change. Oh, they told you that. Okay. Yep. I can't imagine having thoughts that are natural. At the end of the day, they're natural. And you're told to go against your nature. Yeah. Like, you know, in my teens, it was horribly damaging. Like, I thought that everything I did was wrong. It really destroys your self-esteem. I told my dad, I was like, hey, you know, I'm struggling with these, with these thoughts. I told him I'm struggling with these thoughts. You know, I've been looking at pornography. You, of course, Jehovah's Witnesses always have to say the porn. They have to say pornography. They can't just say porn. Um, <laughs> no slang. Are you no watching slang. the pornography? Pornography. <laughs> right. I'm like, okay. So then I told him, and he basically was like, okay, well, thank you for telling me. And he started talking. He was like, you know, it's normal to be curious about girls. And, and I let it drop. I was like, Dad, I was looking at gay porn. This is old. He just got real quiet. And he says, well, why would you look at that? You know and, why. Right, right, <laughs> right. Because I like him, boy. <laughs> right. <laughs> so then he told, then he, um, I thought it was something in confidence, you know. Then he, when I went to go get baptized, because, like, you know, I really believe that shit, like, oh, your sins will be washed clean, you'll come out of the water look, feeling different. I... Went to get baptized and as, you know, I asked the questions and like the day, maybe about a week or so before I was supposed to you know, actually get dunked, my dad came up to me and he says, you know, the brothers have a question for you. And I'm like, oh, really? 
And since they wanted to know if you were still looking at pornography. Wait a minute. When you were getting baptized? About a week about a week, a week before. before getting yeah. baptized? So you already had done the questions and all that that they asked. Correct. Right. Get baptized. Okay. And I was just I says, no, why? One, I was lying. Two, I was horrified. Yeah, I can imagine. Like the stuff that I thought was in confidence that I told my dad wasn't. And it was heartbreaking. You know, I, I thought that, you know, that I had some dignity or some respect or that, you know, you know, this this person being my dad, you know, I could talk to him. And then I realized that I kind of couldn't. So you get baptized to try to wish the gay away. That doesn't happen. You realize at some point that this is who you are. When did you finally decide to leave and say enough was enough? And how did you do it? Oh, boy, that was an awful, awful time in my life. It, it just kind of got to the point where, you know, I was looking at porn still. No, pornography. Oh, I'm my kidding, God. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm, from the Greek word, you know, pornea. From the Greek word, pornea. But it wasn't just the porn. You know, I graduated from high school, and I hung out with a lot of people who hadn't come out yet. All the closet gays. Near the end of my high school time, you know, people started coming out. When they came out, they came out to to supportive people. You know, they started dating the people that they liked. Even in the congregation, people started dating people of the opposite sex. So me being 18, 19, I had friends who were already engaged. I just started getting more and more bitter because like, what what is there for me? Like, I can't get married. That's not fair for me to try and, you know, fake the funk and a fake marriage. It got to the point where I wanted to, I, I was getting so depressed. I was just like, I want to kill myself. Like, there's no point in me doing this. Maybe if I kill myself, I'll come back in the new world, you know, as fixed and straight and happy. I was getting closer and closer to doing it. And I started, started like, you know, it's either going to be them or me. Why the hell not? Don't I just research, you know, look online. So I typed in Google, gay Jehovah's Witness. I expected to find a story that was going to be gross and nasty and be like, oh, wow, this is why I need to stay in because these people out there are crazy. I found a story about a person in Australia who had the same questions as me and was going through the same problems I was. And I was terrified because I identified with it. You've discovered you are not alone. Yeah. In, in, a, in a whole brand new sense, which is usually... One of the most comforting things that can happen to somebody who was formerly Joe's witness. It was comforting, but it was also terrifying. Understandably so. Like comforting to know that I wasn't alone. The terrifying part is because I was not supposed to be looking at what I was looking at. So what was your parents' emotional reaction when you came out to them? A hot ass mess. (laughs) 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 Um, That was probably the weirdest time. So how I came out was I had made a plan that, oh, I'm going to come out before the district assembly or district convention in the summer. And then I realized I can't do that shit. So I, February 13th, February 14th, Valentine's Day. I didn't even realize it was Valentine's Day because, you know, Joe's witnesses don't celebrate holidays. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I posted on Facebook that, you know, I'm gay. I had this nice little coming out status. And then five minutes later, I sat my parents down. Wait, you came out on Facebook first before coming out to your parents? 
Correct. That's very interesting. I didn't want anybody oh, to talk. Gosh. I didn't want anybody to talk me out of it. I told my parents, and they wanted to make sure that I was mentally okay because they were convinced that, like, you know, I I was talking to somebody or that I was on something or that I was having like a, a mental episode. When they realized I wasn't, they basically said, "Well, since she quoted once again, as for me and my household, we will serve Jehovah." They told me, "Since you don't want to serve Jehovah anymore, there's no place for you here." There was so much happening that I don't think I even had the time to process it because a lot of sometimes in Exodus, it's like, "Oh, I cried," and people told me that it's like. I was figuring out how to not be homeless, so I really didn't have time to process it. Did you ever get to process it? I mean, you... A year later. <laughs> a whole year later, right? Huh? Yeah, after I had gotten to school and moved down to my college, that first semester that I had, that first couple semesters at, at Ohio State were awful. Like, I had to enroll in therapy. I Somebody told me, it's like, it's like, you know, your life finally starts to feel a little bit settled. You know, you finally figure out you're not in fight or flight mode so much anymore. So now everything that you hadn't been processing kind of just hit all at once. Before COVID all popped off, I decided to like, you know, try and make peace because it had been seven years. And I figured, let me make peace. If I don't save my peace now, I'm never going to say it. So I drove the 120 miles to my house. I was going to talk to my dad, just let him know this is how I feel. But what you guys is doing is not okay. And I get to the house, they're, they're there, but they didn't answer the door. So I called my mom. She answers the phone, says, oh, this isn't somebody I want to talk to, and then hangs up the phone on me. Wow. Oh, my God. And I'm just thinking, like, you bitch. Like, all you had to do was just send me the voicemail. That was so extra. That was so extra. So, so, ex so extra for no reason. And I was just like, you know what? I really don't want to talk to any of you motherfuckers. So I wrote a letter. You know, basically saying that what you guys are doing is not okay. If you ever want a relationship, the ball is in your court. And I left it in the door, and that was the end of that. Do you think it would be different if you weren't gay? Absolutely. Yeah, it definitely. I mean, even if you, let's say you committed a sin and you were not sorry about it. <laughs> That's funny you say that, because they, when, I, when they were trying to have my little disciplinary hearing that I skipped out on, that was funny, too, because they called me, and they were like, they said, are you going to come? And I said, yeah, I'll come, and I didn't show up. And then they called me again and said, no, oh, there's three brothers here in the room. And they're like, I was like, how do you feel? It's like, I don't want to be a Jehovah's Witness anymore. Cause so technically, I disassociated. And they asked me, are you sure you want to do that? It's like, yeah, I said I don't want to be Jehovah's Witness anymore. And they talked about how, oh, you know, the door is closing and blah, 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 blah. And I just looked at the phone and I was like, oh, shut the fuck up. And I just hung up the phone. Wow. <laughs> like, I was just I, by that point I was annoyed more than like upset. I was just like, why are you wasting my time like this? And I think that's part of, part of how I felt when I when I talked to my mom or tried to talk to my mom in February. It was just kind of like a how how are you so petty for no reason? Because I found out through non Jehovah's Witness family members that she tells people that she only has four kids instead of five. Oh. It's hurtful for no reason. Yeah, I mean, it shows it's a very homophobic society. It's a very homophobic right. organization. My sister was a lesbian. And I remember there was a time where my father allowed her to come in the house, but she brought a, a friend with her. Never okay. said what the friend was, but because my father assumed the friend was a lesbian also, he made her sit on the porch. And they justify that as if, like, you know, I didn't do anything wrong. But it's very, like, hateful to do someone like that. Right.
And it's contradictory to what they preach at this time. One of their articles said, God is not partial. A sin is a sin. And that's kind of the way I used to see it as a Jehovah's Witness. Like I used to see it like, okay, so this guy's gay. And then this other person is a fornicator, but they're in a the world, but they're exactly the same thing. It's both the same sin. I wasn't in the household where I was taught like hate gays. So when you say she's being extra, it's definitely being extra because I mean, uh-huh. that's why I asked you the question. If you were, let's say you were just a regular sinner, let's say you just got, you were fornicating and you said, I'm on a pot. I don't believe in Joe's windows anymore. You leave. Would she have hung up on you and been so extra about it? I think I could either be gay or I could be an apostate. So I think the fact that I was both, which mm-hmm. is too much for them. Because uh. I feel like because I feel like if I was gay, if I had only come out as being gay, because they kept telling me that they could help me with that, which is a lie. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but the fact that I'm like, you know, I'm gay and I think that, like, you know, all the Jehovah's Witness teachings are bullshit. That was just too much for them. Okay. I, I arguably think the apostate part is probably worse. Apostate is the worst thing you could be to a Joe's witness. Right. Right. I think it's, I think it's just hilarious how, like, um, because I, I know, Joe, you said that you were doing stuff and you didn't feel bad about it. But fun fact, when I came out, I was a virgin. Oh, and no, Joe, Joe felt no, bad. No, 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 I felt bad. That's Ruben. That's Ruben. Ruben was the heartless witness. You confused me. Oh, Joe, God. Joe, if, oh, if, God. If, Joe, if we could personify Joe as a witness, it would be like the, uh, what is it? He would be lashing a big F on his, his body. <laughs> yeah, oh, for real. God. Like, no, I was I was that Jehovah's Witness. Like, yeah. you know, I enjoyed you're thinking me, bro. You're thinking me. <laughs> I'm oh over here going like I did oh it. Oh well. Brazen conduct. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> but yeah, I was a I was a virgin when I left. I wasn't having sex with anyone. Oh my so, god. So it's not like they could like get me it's like, oh, you were having sex with this dude. Like I really wasn't. Like I am like my, my parents were convinced that I was having sex with someone and there was some man in the background controlling me and I'm like, damn, I really wish I had a boyfriend. Like I'm so single. <laughs> that's not that's not what was happening. Um but I, I think that also goes back to the fact that I think a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses refuse to think that people who leave have agency. Or that, you know, that they're leaving of their own accord. Right. Well, I mean, if they did have that agency in own accord, then that would really cause a big disruption. Correct. Because, oh, then there is life afterward. The narrative the Jehovah's Witnesses give is that people out there are miserable and their lives are horrible. And Kevin Williams is out there getting AIDS. You know what I mean? Um, right. People in bathrooms. That's the narrative. Because if that's not the narrative, then... That would be a very attractive thing. Kevin Williams went to college. Kevin Williams is happy. He's doing well. Why am I here? What has helped you move past this? One of the things that helped me move past it is really, really, really appreciating and making authentic friendships, connecting, having basically making these people my new family. So what advice would you give to a gay Jehovah's Witness who is facing similar challenges that you had? Come out and live your life. 
It may be very hard and it may be very painful, but I promise you it's worth it. I mean, the gay community is definitely not perfect and your life will not be perfect. But just to be able to like, you know, have the option to date somebody or love somebody that you want to. It's so powerful. And you, you really won't know that until you go out and experience it. We'd like to thank you, Kevin, for doing this interview. You're an awesome guest. Thank you. Very inspiring story. Sad in a lot of parts. <laughs> <laughs> but you're doing well now, right? You're What are you working on right now? So right now I've been writing. I've been doing some local news pieces, either commentary or actual reporting here in the Columbus, Ohio area. Kind of a freelance reporter and journalist. Awesome. Uh, yeah, it kind of happened all of a sudden. But people li- listen to me, so I'm just going to use that platform while I got it. I've read your articles. Uh, You're a really good writer. Thank yes. you, sir. Thank you so yes. much. I appreciate that. So, Kevin, uh, with my guests, I started this new segment. The Jehovah Twins. Uh, oh, God. Please do it. I'm ready. Yes, This let's is do it. the Twisted View on Sex Edition. Number one is a fill-in-the-blank. Okay. This is from the book Your Youth, 1976. Before oh, you were born and before your parents became Jehovah's Witnesses. I've read that book, though. All right. So here's a quote. Quote, in fact, blank can lead into homosexuality. Masturbation. Boom. That is correct. There's a, there's a horrible story behind that because my mom and dad read me read that. And <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I honest to God thought that because I was masturbating. I had caused my own gayness. Hey, was that the pink book? That was. That was. It was red. It was red. Yeah, it was was like reddish pink. Yeah, we. (laughs) My father, like, he studied with me and another kid in the hall. And when we got to the masturbation chapter, it was so uncomfortable. It was just we both looked at each other like God. He keeps I, saying masturbation. Stop saying masturbation, Dad. I hate that book's view on like sex because I think it, it describes like, oh, the male inserts his erection into her birth canal. She may she may experience pleasure from this. I'm like, damn, this sounds so boring. <laughs> it's I'm like a- she may experience pleasure, but if not, eh. <laughs> <laughs> she won't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the next question is a true or false. The biblical character Onan was executed for, quote-unquote, wasting his semen on the earth. True. Oh, I wasn't done. Oh, shit. His sin was masturbation. No. False. It was not. You're absolutely correct. His his sin was pulling out. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the reason why I brought up this question in the context that we're talking about is because the whole idea behind banning these sexual behaviors was that they wanted to procreate. That's the yes. most important thing. Yeah, the whole part of Leviticus was just the preservation of the Jewish race. Like, it wasn't God saying everything was bad. It was just, we want to live, so these are the things we noticed. Exactly. Right. All right, question number three. Could you get a divorce over a partner who asked for oral or anal sex? As what year is? It depends on the year. Wait. The latest, after 83, I believe. No. That is correct. That is correct. Okay. <laughs> Next question. Number four. 
viewing pornography falls under the following sin. You know how they break up sins? They have fornication, A. Right. B, brazen conduct or loose conduct, uh, what, what used to be called loose conduct, or C, uncleanness. I thought it was loose conduct. I think it's uncleanness. Dang, Joe, you got one wrong finally. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> Kevin is right. Yes. <laughs> yes. This, <laughs> this is the contest you have. You got one wrong. Yeah. So Luke Lay. All right, so the last question, and this is obscure, so if you don't get it, it's fine. But okay. a lot of people think this, so I was hoping that maybe you would guess it. And, Joe, if you get it wrong, great. Uh, an article in 1991 oh, God. Uh, criticized Bishop John Shelby Spong, who is, by the way, a liberal Christian who I love, uh, okay. for publishing a book that claimed what apostle was gay. I'm going to guess and say Paul. Yeah. It's Paul. He's, he's way too ass-bothered in the book. Like that's, He that's is. Like, like, yeah, he definitely. And Ooh. it makes sense because he's always like, yeah, don't, don't. He, Jesus said nothing about being gay. Nothing. 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 He was like, it was Paul. Paul and his like, don't be gay. <laughs> you know. Homophobic okay. anti-Semite. That's what Paul was. Thank you for joining us for the Jehovah no Quiz. No problem. Thank you again. Joining us. No problem. Thank, Thank you, you Kevin. This was great. No problem. Thanks. Not wonderful meeting you guys. Wonderful talking to you guys again. Same. Awesome. Take care. Have a, good, have a good one. Bye. That was a great interview. We hope you enjoyed our guest as much as we did. But don't just leave yet. We have another segment headed your way. Stay tuned for Now What? Welcome to Now What, a segment where we feature the successes and projects of former Jehovah's Witnesses. Today's guest is Gary Sanders. Gary Sanders is from Portland, Oregon, and he is originally from the Los Angeles area, where he was the founder of SCV Mindfulness and led up to three weekly groups for over five years. He helped from the ground level to found Refuge Recovery, a Buddhist-based recovery program for all addictions, which has now spread worldwide. After moving to Portland five years ago, Gary was asked to join the teaching staff at Portland Insight Meditation Community. He travels frequently and does workshops all over North America. Gary, how are you? It's great to have you on. I'm good, Ruben. It's always a pleasure to hear your voice. Same here, man. The reason I asked you on is because I find your story fascinating and I wanted to learn a little bit more about it and also... Since this segment is called Now What? It's basically encouraging other people by your encouraging story about your success and what you're doing now. But just to get started, can you tell me about your JW upbringing, your Jehovah's Witness upbringing? Yeah, I was born into it. Lucky me, my parents had a knock on the door when my mom was pregnant. You know, this is super early 70s. They were searchers, transcendental meditation and Ouija boards and that kind of thing. And Really? Of course, it was the answer to their prayers, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses that came with the truth. And of course, so I'm born into it. My dad was a traveling overseer. Woo! Until I moved out of the house when I was like 18, 19 years old. Uh, that was what I was raised in. Were you ever baptized? I was. 
until I graduated high school, I had no desire to be baptized. And then I moved to Florida right after high school. And there I only hung out with Jehovah's Witnesses. You know, my, my dad had been there uh, for a while and he introduced me to people. And so I hung out with these guys and they were all baptized. They also drank like me and they went to rock concerts like me. So I just, I was like, no, eh, this is, this is what I do. You say you were drinking a lot. So that led to what we know now uh, that I know of you is that you are a recovering addict and you would say that that lifestyle led to your addiction or would you say that the Jehovah's Witness experience led to your addiction or is it a combination? You know, it's it's definitely a combination. I I think I could say truthfully that I was religiously abused, you know, on top of being physically abused, you know, by, you know, uh, getting spanked and hit all the time and, and then, you know, emotional abuse. But in my household, what was modeled to me was repression. And to me, the Jehovah's Witness faith is all repression. Stuff down your truth, your personal truth, not the truth, capital truth. But right. Stuff down your natural urges, stuff down questioning. You know, the thing that I found to, to survive in that, you know, with me not living in my personal truth, of having to be an actor all the time, you know, in front of my parents and Je the other Jehovah's Witnesses, I just had to stuff that down, you know, pretty young. I don't know, like, you know, like seventh grade, I found alcohol and I found marijuana right after that. Right. I was, I was never comfortable in my own skin. I didn't even know what that was. I just knew I was miserable all the time and if I drank or I used I had a little bit of relief what changed for you what made you want a better life the big thing was I suffered so much that I was desperate to do anything to get out of the hole for me it started with therapy it turned out to be Zen based some mindfulness practice and then when you know I had my last cocaine bender in Las Vegas <laughs> I, I it was just such a miserable drive home. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I, I do owe it to psychedelic mushrooms. I ate mushrooms in the middle of this Coke bender in Las Vegas, and I had the clearest insight that I had to stop doing everything. I had to do whatever it took to get sober and stay sober. You know, I was already practicing mindfulness. I used a Buddhist approach to AA. I was still an atheist. You know, I, I right. did not accept the whole higher power thing within AA, but I used a Buddhist approach, a path, a life practice, not a religion, a way of training your mind and living ethically. I wanted to stop killing myself. Right, right. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I reached I reached out and I got help, and that was something that they said a lot in 12-step in, in and AA, that, you know, you, you need to find a higher power, something greater than you, you need to find a spiritual solution. And while I'm still an atheist, I I would say I, I live a pretty spiritual life. I'm, I'm now a Buddhist meditation teacher. You went from a Jehovah's Witness to somebody that looked for this approach to help heal, and now you're a meditation teacher. How did you get into the teaching part? You know, it's. I think a lot of it was just the thing that was kind of ingrained in me in AA and the 12-step world, because, you know, the the... 12th step is to freely turn around and offer it to others to help you stay sober. I have gotten so much out of the practice and the path of the Buddhist paths from all my teachers and all the people that I've practiced with. 
you know, I've gotten so much from these people that I just feel indebted to offer it to others. If somebody's interested, I hold space in, in different avenues. You know, I, I teach meditation in sober communities and in, in sober meetings in, in jails and prisons. I, you know, I teach in schools and, and I, am, I am part of a Buddhist center now in Portland Insight Meditation Community, in which I was welcomed with open arms. It's a big community and it's healthy and it's supportive and it's loving and it encourages you to be whoever you want to be. So can you explain how meditation can help someone leaving a cult or with addiction, basically someone with pain, how does that work? There's a difference between pain and there's a difference between suffering. You know, pain is inevitable. We're going to feel pain. These bodies, you know, get sick, they, they get old and they're going to die. This shouldn't be like this. Why is this happening to me? This is your fault. Poor me. What, you know, that, that, all that extra stuff that we heap on top of pain, that's the suffering. And with mindfulness, the basic mindfulness practices are about bringing yourself into the present moment to get out of those stories, to get all the, out of that extra mental suffering that we create. You know, a lot, most of it's unconscious, but to get out of that suffering and bring attention to this present moment, you know, this breath or this body. And, you know, so that's a huge part of it. But the, the stuff that I really like to teach and the stuff I benefited the most from are loving kindness and forgiveness practices. So I get, I get sober and, and you know, and, and follow this Buddhist path. And I quickly find out how much self-hatred I had and how much judgment that I had towards myself and others. And just, you know, just constant um, second and third and fourth and millionth guess, guessing everything that I do and say. I'm in my head, all this extra suffering. And then to, to practice loving kindness towards myself and to others, offer forgiveness to myself and others, all the ones that I hold resentment towards, to start unburdening myself of all of this judgment, all this uh, hate, all of this pain. That's, that's what meditation has, has offered to me. Gary, where can we learn more? I teach at Portland Insight Meditation Community. If you go to portlandinsight.org, I do a weekly group there and you know, maybe connect with me. Most of them are donation only, so it's not required to pay any money. or. So XJO's Witnesses out there who are suffering, Gary Sanders is a teacher and he's an XJO's Witness. Look him up. <laughs> All right, Gary. It was great having you on, man. Thank you so much for uh, doing this. What a pleasure, Ruben. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Nobody Asks Us to Do This, the next Jehovah's Witness podcast. Remember, our stories may be varied, but you are not alone. Take off that new personality and create your own. Have a great one.